0: guys, for anybody that is tuning in right now, uh, my name is Dr. Nicholas Sirio. I'm one of the co-owners at Athletes Warehouse. Um, I have a doctorate in performance psychology, master's in exercise science, and master's in exercise science. I've been in the fitness industry for the last 10 years, but I am the least knowledgeable on this panel, especially when it comes to this area, so I'm pumped. Uh, we're gonna start off. Coach James uh, right here is a, Former Olympian, let's let's rattle through this. This is going to be intense here. He is a former Olympian, world champion, four-time All-American, and a LIU Hall of Famer. I leave anything out.
1: I, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> <laughs> current it's been, strength coach it's, at Poly Prep. So, yes, current strength coach at Polypro Country Day School i um, adjunct professor in the Sports Science Department at LIU Brooklyn. Um, it's been so long that I've been doing this that I, I don't even remember a lot of things.
0: Well, good. I am hope we get to grasp some of that knowledge then. Uh, Coach Matt will go next here. Coach Matt was a uh, track star in high school, winning the uh, Uriah State Champion in the 2x400, 1x400? 4x200. I was close there. I'm dyslexic. It's all right. Uh, so, a uh, little track experience there. Also, Coach Matt, so we should know, is uh, second all-time in Cortland for hits. Uh, Cortland Hall of Famer as well, went to a national championship, uh, like myself, didn't win, but went. Uh, but uh, vast knowledge in the world of uh, speed development, especially as it relates to athletes outside of uh, track field. Coach Steven, who's over here as well, Coach Steven has his master's in exercise science um, masters in exercise science as well. His focus in his masters was biomechanics. Um, Coach Stephen has been with Athletes Warehouse now for a year and a half, and then previous to that uh, worked with us a few years ago as well. Has trained a multitude of performance athletes. Um, Coach Jack is a uh, I think he's on here as Coach Gladstone. Um, he is a LMT and certified training and conditioning specialist. Um, his expertise in this area aside from just having a knowledge of how to train young performance athletes uh he was fifth uh 12 uh in the u.s uh how many years ago was that
2: uh four? Three,
0: Three no, four years, years
2: ago, ago. four yeah, years ago
0: for olympic weightlifting so uh quite a wealth of knowledge in how to develop power and uh, how to create power, that's for sure. Um, so let's get it started. Basically, today's concept is a round table. This is not gonna be formal. Uh, there's a Q&A on this. There's also a Q&A on um, Facebook. So feel free to hit us up on either one. We really wanna answer as many questions as humanly possible. Um, in addition to that, we are just going to be really going back and forth on different topics that relate to speed and power development and then how, hopefully, how we can apply that to a lot of our athletes and potentially even help you guys while you're stuck at home, uh, be able to apply some of these concepts. Um, so I'm gonna start it off here. I'm gonna go to Coach James real quick, and I'm gonna ask you, just give me your summary of what your principles
1: of speed development are. Uh, my my principles of speed development um, operates on three major things. It's uh, run right, run fast, run long, uh, which is basically, it it means first thing, every athlete needs to learn in order for them to be fast running wise. They need to learn how to run the right way because um, running as we know, speed is the ultimate expression of uh, strength. And um, when it comes to putting force into the ground, we've seen people put anywhere between four to six times their body weight in the ground to, to push off. So if you're not using the right technique, it's a high possibility that you're going to get hurt. Forget about running slow, you're going to get hurt. Um, Run fast. That simply means learn how to move your limbs at the appropriate speed in order to facilitate frequent ground contact. And then run long is basically teaching you how to maintain that speed, how to maintain top speed over a, a long period. Um, so that's basically my whole thing. And um, the things that I use to help people get faster number one, check their flexibility, check their mobility, um, check their ability to jump, and um, see how many times their body weight they can move. It's basically it. Awesome.
0: Uh, what an unbelievable uh, and simplistic viewpoint that's uh, able to articulate so much in such a small amount of time. Um, Coach Matt, I want to go to you, too. I know that you have a a ton of knowledge in this area as well, and I know you're reading constantly on it. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest things about Coach Matt is he'll come into me and say, oh, I ruined my whole life this weekend. I'm like, what happened? And, you know, he read an article that contradicted something he's been believing in. And what makes him such a great coach is his ability to know that there are so many viewpoints out there. So I really am going to enjoy this perspective. Go ahead.
3: Okay, so uh, just bouncing off of Coach James. Obviously, uh, one of my principles is always gonna be technique. Um, You know, he's talking about being fast. I'll just call that timing. Those are two basic things that are always gonna be on my mind, okay, for my principles of training speed. But I think my biggest thing over the years of just becoming a hypocrite of myself and just what I learn, you know, every day I, I, I try to get back to what speed is and what being fast is. And to most of our listeners, I'm guessing, if we're at AW, there's a lot of baseball, softball. So you understand what the term skill is. Okay, speed sprinting is a skill. And sometimes I think that a lot of our principles can just be based around the fact that it is a skill. Okay, just like you would hit your practice in hitting. Okay, you do your T work, but then you, you're gonna also hit batting practice. You're also going to hit live. Okay, just like in sprinting, you don't just do drills, you don't just do top speed work. It encompasses everything. So I think my main thing, just because I have very similar concepts with Coach James is just understanding that speed is a skill and it should be treated as a skill. Um, And that encompasses everything, everything in the weight room, everything on the track, everything and, you know, just because of the vast population I've got to deal with, I've also understood now the big difference of skill of just linear speed and then you know we're going to probably touch on it later but field or, or team speed or whatever your game is that is a different type of speed um and i'm sure we're going to touch on that in a little bit
0: awesome yeah unbelievable what i thought was so cool about what you both mentioned and i actually want to go to jack next um because oftentimes the parallels of what you're mentioning right there in terms of how uh, both of you mentioned technique right out the shoot, right? And a lot of times we hear um, Olympic weightlifting get just bombarded by coaches and, and so on and so forth, because of what? The technique is so poor in the movement, because I think we look at Olympic weightlifting as simply a tool as opposed to another skill set that we have to learn to then help apply different forces and different metrics to us. So I wanted to just kick it over to Coach Jack and just have him talk for a little bit on that.
2: Yeah, I think, so let me just start by saying, when I first started training at Athletes Warehouse, I was was an athlete. Uh, Coach Matt, I believe you and Coach Nick actually watched me run. And I was a, what was I was a sophomore in college playing lacrosse. And you were like, what are you doing? (laughs) So the biggest thing was that, right there, was that nobody had ever taught me how to sprint. So going back to what coach James was talking about, nobody had ever like broke it down for me and said, hey, this is how you sprint. So many people were like, hey, this is how you perform a snatch. This is how you shoot a lacrosse ball, any sport that I was participating in. Nobody ever broke it down for me and said, hey, here's how you sprint. So we see, I guess from the programming side a lot, dealing with field athletes who have never been taught how to sprint before, it's almost taking them back to those early stages of development, like when they need to relearn how to almost walk, right? They almost need to relearn how to walk and then we can start to progress and and worry about generating power and and generating speed from there. Um, But I think that's the biggest thing.
0: Awesome, yeah, very, very cool. Coach Steven, do you have anything you wanna add to uh, what we've just discussed?
4: Uh, Just to hit on both of the points that uh, Coach James and Coach Matt said, uh, and even Coach Jack, is, there's the technique behind it. Technique is always first. Um, you need to learn how to move your body properly and be as efficient as you can as you're going through those sprint mechanics. And then the skill of sprinting. Like we said, we've seen some people run and there's a skill to it. Like it's not, as much as we see running and sprinting as something that you naturally have, there is the skill to sprinting and being able to move fast. So I completely agree with everybody on those points. Awesome.
0: Very cool. So, uh, you know, we, we all sort of wanted to jump into it. And I think we were like a little reserved there and in, in, in how we wanted to go at it. But how then do you program for somebody in order to get speed? Because many of you just mentioned technique, right? And oftentimes a lot of people come in to a, a facility and the last thing they want to do is, you know, the hear the thing technique to do. Right, exactly right, thank you. Um, Yes, the last thing they wanna do is the first thing, right. They don't wanna spend the time working on the small minutia of, let's say, what their foot pattern is as it's striking the ground or, you know, what their gait should look like or so on and so forth and and an array of different things. And before I shove my own foot in my mouth, I'm gonna pass it off to people that know what they're talking about here. So
1: how would we program, you know, for that? Go ahead. All right. So first thing, um, um first of all, I'm, I'm really happy that I'm on this thing right now. <laughs> I've, I've been on a few of them and I've only shared my knowledge with just a few people I trust. Um, so I'm going to start this whole thing by telling you what I saw when I came to the United States 20 years ago. Um, how do you program for athletes for speed? It's, It's more spectral instead of looking at just one point. Whenever I look at athletes, I ask these questions. Is your body built for speed? Simply mean, how does your feet look? Do you have flat feet? Next thing I look at them, how do you run? Are you a power runner? Are you neurological runner? Or are you just someone who can just get some wheels going? Programming for speed cannot be put into a little square. It has to be one of those things that you look at from a from multiple areas. Because if you have a young man or a young woman who is able to get off the block real quick, first three steps are explosive, but they're going nowhere, it simply means one of two things. They're not applying enough force into the ground to get their body to move forward, or they're not strong enough neurologically. They're not, they're not putting that force quickly into the ground. So how to program for, for speed. First you have to evaluate. First you have to understand what are the components of speed? And understanding the component of speed is, 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 the, is the first part. And um, I'm gonna go back to what some of my coaches from Jamaica who I still go to see every summer um they talk about what we talk about speed uh speed as you know is a skill everybody knows that the first thing we look for in our athletes when we're about to to write a string a training program number one what sport did your parents play because by understanding the genetic makeup of the kid you have an understanding of how you might be able to start testing that individual so when you look at a, a young man, I have this one young man, his dad played rugby in, in college and his mom was a marathon runner. So right there, I understand that this person is a hybrid. It's a hybrid athlete. This person has um, a ridiculous amount of speed locked in their body, speed and power locked in their body, and they also have a lot of endurance. So where do I start with the training program? So it's basically what they're looking for this young man was basically trying to get fast before the baseball combine. So based on what he had, I had to change that whole training system to create the most appropriate thing. So when it comes to my outlook on this, my programming thought process is first, who are the, who are the parents for this young man or young woman? Does that make sense?
0: Love it. Yeah. It makes total sense. I mean, shoot, we've, We've joked around for years now that we'd we'd love for every eval for both parents to come in and why not, let's bring the grandparents in while you're at it. And we can get a really good idea of what we're gonna have in terms of an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> Coach Matt, you wanna give anything on this?
3: Well, first off, I love the parents thing. I wish we could do that every time, I know. I had a big smile on when you said that, Coach James. We've been trying that for a long time. Um. I guess just going off of that now, um, a lot of the times when I'm just thinking about speed, if I'm thinking about one individual, if I'm working on somebody right from the beginning after an eval, I'm going to ask them why, okay? Why, why are you, why do you need to get faster? What do you need to get faster for? So the the why and the what, so what sport are you, you know, what is the reason that you think you need to get fast? Because we have to figure out a we're gonna obviously do all the the basics, all the general speed training in the beginning, anyways. But sometimes we have to figure out what we're. It might be a, a defensive back who most of their sprinting is going backwards and and, do, and doing something different. Um, in baseball, it might be only going, you know, ninety feet here and there. So knowing the why and the what will help me at least personally when I'm when I'm programming my guidelines for here's here's where I want to keep my technique work here's where where I want to keep it almost sport specific to the type of position that they're playing
0: awesome uh really really good and and it brings up another point too because one of the things that I wanted to venture into next was you know how different are we really going to train when we when we're talking about how we're going to program right and and both you brought up great um overarching principles for like what you're going to look at when you're going to program but from that regard, how different would we train, let's say a baseball player from a wide receiver in terms of speed development. And then because of the fact that a baseball athlete, right, and a football athlete, very interesting in both sports, have a defined speed test that they run, that 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 athlete may never actually have to run that distance in their sport in a straight line ever, but yet the sport is gauged off of that. Obviously football, we're talking 40, baseball, we're talking 60, which is arguably the worst test on the planet because no baseball player should ever need to run 60 yards because it doesn't happen. But, so just to, to that point, if anybody wants to jump in, in in terms of like, how do we alter the difference between the development? And let's say, let's, let, let, me, let me give you this. We've gotten past the basics of understanding how to run at this point. How do we then take it to the next point where we're saying, okay, we need to drill this program down, refine and funnel the program a little bit more.
2: So I think a cool, just going off of what you guys just said, um, getting into specifics, um, like one of my lacrosse athletes, right? We did further out from the season. We were doing a lot of linear sprinting, just working on that 40 yard dash time. Mostly he was even a college commit, so it wasn't even necessarily that he needed it for a combine. It was mostly just something that was he was interested in training for. Um, as we get closer to the season, being a lacrosse player, being an offensive player, he's probably gonna only be sprinting upwards of 20 yards, 20 yard like quick burst, Little bit of time off, go again. Little bit of time off, go again. So that's when we started to implement a lot more, still on the laser, still being timed, of like repeat tens. So like five tens in a row, all with about 20 seconds off. I know Matt, we've experimented a lot with that, with like five tens, 10 tens, stuff like that. But that's just going to mirror his sport and mirror the demands of like an offensive set, say.
0: Very cool, really, really cool. Uh, one interesting point I wanna bring up there that has nothing to do with speed development at all, but obviously uh, you know, tickled my brain in the back was the point that you said it was something he wanted to work on. Uh, that is so empowering because that's an automatic buy-in from the athlete, right? If you're programming something that they want to develop at that point in time or providing an opportunity where you can test and retest that athlete, and show them progress, even if that's not going to be necessarily perfect for their sport, think about the amount of buy-in. And by the way, who's ever said, I don't want to be more athletic and I don't want to be faster? Nobody. And I don't care what sport you play. So it's obviously going to benefit them. But that's an awesome point to make there on top of it, in addition to all the other points you made as you started to get closer to the season, you started sectioning down to the actual sport.
1: Yeah, programming for bat, for um for football versus baseball, um it's it's a totally different animal because um when we think of football, the, the the purpose for running in football is pure survival. It's as primal as that. Because if you're not fast enough, you're going to get hit. And if you're not fast enough you won't be able to hit anyone. So when we think of baseball and I wrote a little thing on it a couple of years ago, I said baseball speed training is the simplest training you could do because all you're doing is teaching acceleration because the distance between one base to the next, all you're doing is just trying to get there as fast as you can in acceleration. So in my training for baseball athletes, we go through acceleration for 10 meters, acceleration for 20 meters. I use meters, not yards. Meters are way longer than yards, not way longer, but they're longer. I rather those because it gives the athlete this little information that you're not running fast enough, but when they get to the combine, boom, their numbers are dropping. Um, so with baseball athletes, it's about quick start, quick acceleration. That's what I do with them. Now for football athletes, it's about quick start, quick acceleration, and the ability to to evade a hit or to follow. A, I call them a prey if they're if they're chasing an offensive athlete. So um, that's. That's just basically how I look at it. And my training days for football players, I do have a linear day and, then, uh, and a lateral day. And my linear day, I'm just basically focusing on start speed, acceleration, and I am peppering in a little bit of acceleration. I mean, change of direction drills, just to get their body primed for day two of speed training, which is primarily lateral movement and um, evasive action
2: very coach, coach James are those do you program those two days so linear lateral day in the same week yes, how
0: yes do you alter we're the to... volume excuse me how do you alter the volume between those two all
1: right I, I, I allow their um, maximum amount of runs to, to guide me through that so let's look at a wide receiver in, in a game situation what's the average amount of runs that they go through. what's the average amount of time that is uh, the ball is snapped when they're on the field 40
0: 43 exactly
1: so you're looking at anywhere between 30 to 40 reps right and we try to program those 30 or 40 reps within the training system yes I am that crazy it's <laughs> gonna be 10 reps low intensity 10 reps of moderate intensity 10 reps of I am trying to kill you, survive this intensity. And then 10 reps of, okay, let's go back to sleep. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally.
0: So how would you then take that into baseball? Because obviously like a batter is up four times a game, five max, that's if his team's killing it and he's probably not gonna need to run fast anyway then. But so five sprints, you're running with them.
1: We're going five sprints. We're going five sprints over 20 sprints. So it's 20 sprints, but five reps each. Got it. Does that make make sense? Yeah, yeah, reps each Yes, and it's either going to be between that 10 yards. We're trying to get out first five to six steps because we're trying to get them to cover 10 yards in five, um, six steps or less. That's my craziness. Um, And I also go for another, 20 yards where we're trying to get that first 10 yards to see how well they can accelerate through there. Um, So in my book, it's 40, 20, or sometime when I go super crazy when I'm going into um, those points where we're trying to get the athletes to run long, we'll go for up to 80 sprints or up to 30 sprints for uh, baseball kids. And um, where I am, I would only go maximum amount of 60-yard dash during a track during a, not track during a baseball practice, we go about three mm-hmm. at 100 percent. Three at 100 percent.
0: Now, uh, Coach Matt, we've we've dabbled, and you actually tried to get me to do it, and I couldn't because I'm not a very efficient uh, runner here. But uh, with getting to uh, certain percentages, like Coach James is talking about, of my 10 or of my 20. And what I'm trying to say, guys, if I'm not coming across right, is you know if if I ran my ten in one five or one whatever, Coach Matt wanted me to run that at eighty percent or then seventy percent, and all of them were done on a laser, so I was it was I was able to track what percentage I was at. How um, if that was possible, how uh, effective do you think that would be to then work into volume? tempering coach Matt
1: sorry
3: I thought you I thought you were asking at the coach um so to be honest with you we we were we were trying to experiment with the volumes um we were we were doing it at pretty short distances uh even for the 40s the max we would do for 40s would be um five sprints, one, which would be 100% so they could get a time to use for the day. And then they would do maybe four at, we called it 85%, but we're really coming about a 10th of a second off of their best. Um, One of the cool things that we noticed, and we only did it for a short time, was that a lot of our better runners, okay, runners that looked good running, runners that were usually the fastest, they were way more in tune with running those slower times, okay? And I don't know why that is. I don't know if they're just better runners for a reason, but they were able to get to their lower tempo speed much faster than someone who was a little bit slower, which again, was a very general statement, but we saw it happen multiple times with a lot of our athletes. Um, You know, that was just a a quick point to that. But as for the tempos, I don't know, we're still experimenting it. It was a really cool thing. you know you see it all over with with linear and in track sprinting you don't run 100 all the time and we had we had some difficulty doing talking our athletes and, and educating them that you don't have to sprint full speed all the time just like we don't heavy back squat every single time um but that's another topic there but yeah really cool thing um definitely still need to experiment it more i'm really happy that coach james used it maybe our guys can listen to him too
0: so the, uh, the interesting point there um, that you brought up, which was that uh, our guys that look the best, they may not even have been our fastest runners, but they seem to have the best uh, sort of motor mapping of how the run should look and how it should appear. So they may have been peaking on their current potential or at least close to it from a motor learning standpoint. What's really interesting is that they were the ones that were able to adapt the fastest. And what I've always said is, if you give me a guy who can throw a baseball really hard, I'll be willing to bet he can probably go run really well too, because they're probably very athletic and they've mapped or they've uh, they've created a motor Ingram of these very similar movement patterns and are now just compiling them and building on top of it. So it's very intriguing from sort of a motor learning standpoint when you look at that and you see these these really good athletes, even if they're not the fastest guy, they're the ones that's able to look the best. And uh, so, and, and it's it's pointed out greatly, I guess, in those uh, in those styles of training.
2: I um, think something Coach James hit on earlier was um, uh, neurological runner, Coach James. That that's the term you use, right? Which is really interesting. I think in terms of our um, something that we've talked about too is like maybe more so from like the energy system standpoint but what type of nervous system does that athlete operate off of is pretty interesting just in terms of like like we've talked about a lot of like like you'll see those super power athletes just being super dopamine driven they're really good at maxing out they're really good at like hitting that that top speed really quick hitting their pr really quick then they're not so good at holding on to that coming into a little bit more volume, um, which I think we see a lot with our, um, our college field sport population. Um, some of those kids, a lot of our female population there, are just in freak shape where they do have some pretty good sprint times. They're, you know, pretty, I, I don't know what you would call like in our, in our top percentile of sprinting, but what they're so good at just based on what their nervous system predisposes them for is being able to hold on to that rep after rep after rep, which is super interesting in how you can, I guess we can prescribe volume in a totally different way to them than you can to somebody that might be really dopamine driven, really good
1: at just maxing out. And maybe their sport is predisposes them for that. And, and that, is, well, that is what um, comes back to the formula, run right, run fast, run long. Um, it, it, it's something that we practice in every, practice in every workout, we're going to go a hundred percent every day. There's, there's no two ways about that. And yes, it is true that you cannot run a hundred percent every day. But when I say we're going a hundred percent every day, it doesn't mean we're going to run a hundred percent every day. It simply means that we're going to hit on a part of the whole process at a hundred percent. So let's say today is a run right day. Our first priority is to master the technique. I remember working with an athlete with a with a wonderful coach. So I have this this mentor. He's a great guy. Um, we're we're working on a young lady right now for 2020 Olympics, which is going to be next year, thank God. <laughs> and uh, we spent the entire training day operating on 100% efficiency, 100% efficiency. And um, when people think of running fast, it is not an effort it's not an effort it's, it's, it's no effort it's something that should flow that's why we have to go 100 percent on the technique every time when it comes to running fast we're basically teaching the athlete to slow their heart rate get inside of here and allow gravity allow their body to react to gravity in the fastest possible way because speed training is reaction training Regardless of what people think, because every time you touch the ground, your stretch shortening cycle is saying, Get off the ground, get off the ground. So, whether we're going straight distance or we're changing direction, it's the exact same thing. So, when I say we go 100% every day, we're either going 100% on technique, on speed, or 100% on trying to have you hold your max speed over a long distance. Let's say today we find out that you're, the, the furthest you can go on a 45-second run is 300 meters. We're going to ask you to go 300 meters for that 45-second run until you get there. That's that's 100% of volume that we're looking at. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So That's how we put that whole process together.
0: And uh, what I love that you brought up there, and Coach Steven, I'm gonna come to you in one second, because I know you wanted to jump in there. I just wanted to mention one thing, which was really cool that uh, you were focusing on 100% of technique that day, and that you were saying you wanted them to have as little effort as possible. So again, it goes back to this motor learning, right? The, and we know as a, uh, as a human, the less we are involved in, uh, let's say, uh thinking about the action we are going to do the more automated we can make the action the closer chance we have of going into that sort of flow state and getting to the point where now we're just allowing our athleticism that we've built over time to take over
1: definitely
4: coach steven go ahead and um Coach James, I'm glad you brought up that point about um, when you're running fast, it's effortless. Like, that takes me back to when I was in high school. One of the cues that I used to get was to fix my face It's because like, i would be trying to sprint as hard as I can and I would scrunch my face up. And my coach would tell me like, he's like, when you're running sprints, you should be completely relaxed through your face and letting your body take you and letting gravity take you. So I'm, I'm so happy you brought that point up. And then even to pick off what Coach Jack was saying, um, sequencing. It's even what you were saying, Nick, when you see somebody, you can throw the ball really hard. Generally they have phenomenal sequencing. So they're able to pick up things and move their body a certain way. And that relates to how we can train them differently. Coach James, what I had a question for you on was about the sub max uh, days that you're running. So like say if you have somebody running a a sprint at say, you're gonna call it a sub max. Do you let their body feel out what say like 80% is or do you Are you doing like a time formula to try to figure out that sub max?
1: All right. So just, just a little secret. I hate the clock. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I hate the clock. I I want the athletes to feel themselves, feel their body get lighter. Every time I train the athletes, the first, first day we're going to ask the kids, how heavy do you feel? They're like, Oh, I feel super heavy. And as the days go by and we start training, how heavy do you feel? I feel lighter and I feel lighter. And I'm like, okay, let's try this run. Go as hard as you can, boom. It goes as hard as it can. That's when I take out a clock. Say, okay, what I want you to do, go as hard as you can, but relax. Boom, time gets faster. Does that make sense? Is yeah. that what you were asking me? Like we we are so, Married to these metrics, that we fail to recognize that we're dealing with people. And if mm-hmm. if, if an athlete is not comfortable with the task that they're being asked to do, it, it's going to be chaos. When you look at an Olympian and they're performing at the highest possible level, it's because they understand what that feel like. They understand the feeling. There's no pressure of a chase the time. Let's go five reps. Yes, if you do something and it's not done right, we're going to start over. There's no two ways about it because you have to start over. It wasn't done right. But a clock, I I love the clock just for testing. But on those submaximal days, I don't want a clock around. I just want them to feel the ground, say hello, goodbye. Hello, goodbye with each step. No clocks on on a submaximal day.
0: So uh, unbelievable points there as well again, obviously, but um, I wanted to now jump into uh, the difference we feel in terms of, because this is obviously always a, a hot topic, right? We have change of direction and we have, uh, you know, linear speed. How do all of you view that as either being different or one in the same or, and I'll allow you guys to just go into that
1: they're not different they they're not different they they're still a part of the whole survival sequence so let let me tell you something I, I i grew up in the bush and one of the things i did i spent some time just watching these little animals survive in the bush and uh when you you see a mongoose try to chase a chicken and the chicken is effortlessly changing direction and the mongoose is trying to keep up they're not thinking oh I need to plant my leg and turn this way and turn that way they're just doing it and a lot of time in our training we drill so much of these unnatural movements that our athletes no longer dance through through the field of play because honestly change of direction is dancing it's that running is sequencing it's dancing it's the same thing it's the same patterning creating that pattern and allowing the athlete to just flow through it does that
0: make sense a hundred percent a hundred percent so the um and what's interesting and I've, I've read over the last couple of years that change of direction is literally just mental um, and it's it's really just you know mental and neurological and that you have to create those pathways and those motor ingrams and then allow that to build on top of motor learning it's not done by continuously drilling down small sections I want coach Matt to go next because I know he's had a massive change over the last two years in and getting very similar to what coach James is talking about where he basically just had athletes compete against each other for change of direction.
3: Yeah. So coach James, I just love how you make things simple for me to understand <laughs> and everybody to understand. It's just awesome. Um, I'm using that Mongoose story though. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure I use you on it first, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the linear speed to and change direction first, I 100% agree that it's, it encompasses the same idea. Um, when we're talking about actually training it, uh, for everybody listening, think about it like this. Whether you play soccer, you play baseball, you run track, whatever it is, you're all going to do some sort of squat, whether that's with weight or whatever. Okay? That might just be a pinnacle movement. Linear speed is always going to be your pinnacle movement. You still need to be fast going linear. Okay, change of direction now is just another aspect of it. So we never just train uh, change of direction or just linear speed. They both need to be trained at the same time. So in in complete agreement with you. Um, In terms of what coach Nick was talking about, we've basically taken away everything. Our cones, we don't even have ladders at Athletes Rows anymore. Um, We we don't use any of it because it's basically pointless. Uh, and, And exactly what coach James is saying is all of our, whatever you want to call it, change of direction, agility, it's all based on reacting to another human being. It, I mean, how many times have you seen a coach at athlete's warehouse going one-on-one with an athlete? Because that's how we're training change of direction. Because I don't understand how you can change, do train change of direction in sport or in life when it's going cone to cone. Um, again, it goes back to the idea that I was trying to talk about with skill. We can still do our drills of proper planting and stuff like that from a, confidence standpoint, learning how to, where you should plant, you know, coming off of an injury, we need to relearn these things. But in terms of just training, change of direction, um, you know, coach Jack hears me ask this kids all the time. I always say, did you, did you play as a kid? Did you go out and play tag? Did you do anything else? Cause you asked, ask your kids who move side to side really well, or they're able to change direction really well, ask them what they did as a kid. Cause I guarantee the ones that are good have been doing it for a long time. Okay. It's just another cool thing to think about. Um, but yeah, I think they're both Um, I don't even use cones anymore. The more one-on-one, that's how we change change the direction.
0: Yeah, I know um, from our ACL rehab perspective. You know, obviously we've handled a ton of ACL rehabilitation now, especially with insurance cutting people off sooner and sooner. Um, you know, our final stage we call Chaos Theory and where we wanna provide as much chaos as possible to this athlete and allow them to immerse themselves in the environment and react accordingly to the environment. Um, the the amazing part of what you start to see is that initial stage of sort of kinesophobia of like, do I have my legs underneath me? And can I make these cuts? And can I do these things? Yes, I've done them in some sort of a drill type patterning, right? because obviously when we're building back up, we're, we're restarting, right? We're crawling from ground zero. So we need to provide some borders uh, during that time. And when we get to the stages where we're into chaos theory, it is perhaps one of the greatest feelings in the world to watch an individual that has come back from an ACL injury, take the brace, throw the brace aside, and be able to just freely cut left to right and react to something and it's uh it is so true we have literally thrown cones thrown ladders out the door because we want this person to feel as close to their actual athletic endeavor as humanly possible and and really what I call it is like controlled and uncontrolled settings we want to get as close safely to an uncontrolled Un- environment yep
2: now for those athletes that we do have that are straight up just maybe a lower level athlete right coach matt would you agree that when sometimes with like a larger team you know there's some athletes that might be behind and we will break out a cone and do just like a you know maybe a 45 degree cut just working on a 45 degree cut but that's never the base premise of the program that it always will come back to. Yes. If we're going to slow it down and just work on you planting your foot, generating power and displacing your body in a different direction that it always goes back to, all right, now we're going to send you out to practice. Now we're going to send you to a chaos drill where you're going to actually apply maybe you gaining power out of that 45 degree angle cut. Now you're going to go apply it to the field of play.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty similar to like when you see a pitcher throw a flat ground compared to throwing in a game, right? Their their flat ground is what you just referenced, right? It's a it's a shorter distance, it's small, it's minute. Maybe they're working on a position with their hand uh, on the ball, and they're trying to figure that out. But then when they go to the game, that's exactly that's chaos right there, right? Now they have somebody trying to hit the object they're throwing, just like uh, with your drill that you just referenced. Yeah, we, we need to create that base Motor Ingram for them, right? We need to give them that base blueprint in their mind of, this is how I do this action. If we don't give them that, then they're just gonna repetitively do what comes natural to them. And that may not be their peak, especially if they didn't come in with heightened athleticism.
2: Right, that's what I mean. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's bad to say, but some, of our athletes need to be taught how to be an athlete. Um, they weren't born that way, right? Some of us were just born that way just to be an athlete. Like Coach Matt said, we grew up playing. Some kids, just
1: not so much. Everybody was born to be an athlete. It's just that we don't practice it. That play part right. of life is practice. And um, I, I get what you guys are saying right now. And um, I completely agree with the fact that you you the freestyle play is what we need. Um, But I I do think that the hurdles on the ladders need to be in the weight room or in the training facility. On the warm-up side of things, on the warm-up side of things. I would not, I don't normally kick those things out because they're still a part of the whole neurological programming. Um, And to your point, nobody is, is, is chasing a stable object. And that's what a cone is. All right, and whenever you put your foot down to, to plant and move at a hundred miles an hour, there's not a set place that your foot has to go, just like in the cones. So, to, you guys are on the right path with that, and I, I would put the cones on the ladders back into the weight room, but I will just use it in, in warm-up. I just have it as a part of a warm-up implement to, to just remind the central nervous system that, hey, these are the things that we're going to be doing. We're gonna be having the ankles move this way and that way. And um, when you get into practice or getting to the training program, you're gonna find out how you get better results because you're basically priming that, that central nervous system. And uh, another thing I've noticed with um, regards to my multi-directional athletes versus my linear athletes, spinal mobility. My multidirectional athletes have greater spine mobility than my linear athletes. Does that make—have you guys noticed that? They're able to lean into movement, like literally, find gravity yes. versus my linear athletes. And that's one of the things I try to teach in my training: is just lean over, like run, run this curve, and actually turn, swing your arms out, and touch the ground as you're changing direction. And um, those are some of the differences between linear athlete and um, lateral athletes and how I see the training for those. And I believe you guys are doing a great job with with what you have right now.
2: Coach Coach James, a cool one that we've – Coach Matt actually has done a lot of and just watching his athletes uh, run a circle, like him making – what is it, like a 10-yard diameter circle on the turf – and seeing how quick an athlete can get around that is super interesting. Just talking about that foot foot mobility and then the ability to lean. You see some yeah. some field athletes like really able to manipulate their body around that, and then yeah. some people have no clue. Even myself, like not having done that in a couple of years, I went to go do one. I'm like, that doesn't feel right at all.
1: Yeah, because the thing that we're teaching people now is not to be rude or anything it's just kind of backwards we're not teaching people to play anymore like everything is so rigid like when i when i came to your place and i saw you guys getting ready to warm up in your energy circle i was like yes that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing we're supposed to be raising people's dopamine levels to go kick some ass <laughs> and, and i absolutely loved that when i saw it and your warm-up system is, is actually beautiful because I see it. I understand it. And I, and I see why your athletes, the athletes that come out of your system is so good, because you guys put time, you guys understand the biomechanics, you guys understand the psychology of the athletes, and you create the program for that.
0: I appreciate that. The um, Coach Matt, uh, you look like you were itching to jump in there. I'll let you go before I try to jump in.
3: I just want to go over the the one example from backwards. Just talking about the different drills and buy-in and and kind of tying everything in. We had the luxury of starting to train some high-level women's lacrosse players. Okay. Um, Very good athletes. One was a professional, the majority were D1 or college level athletes. And these are very good athletes. Some of our top athletes in the building. And they started coming to us to work on dodging, which I thought was so interesting because they've been playing their whole life and they didn't know how to dodge. So starting to do it, starting to go through these drills. I tried using cones, I tried doing this. And then one day I just hopped in. I'm like, I have to play defense because they don't understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to dodge rather than just dodging. Kind of like what Coach James was just saying. It was almost going back to that word, that survival thing. Instead of just trying to get past me, they were trying to be fancy and all these things. And all of them had the same problem. They would try to dance in front of me rather than just go past me. And now we, we've developed almost an entire training based on a coach playing defense on a athlete. And that's how we're teaching them. We're teaching them what we see. Move this way, step here with your foot, and then go this way. And our drills almost became going to your right, going to your left based off a reaction. And it was amazing just by teaching them how to get past somebody rather than try to dodge somebody. The, the, the results we got and, you know, how much harder we as coaches had to work on defense was just showcasing how easy it was just to change someone's mindset um, to some, some of these athletes who were so, so above average and they struggled doing a very, very easy skill in their own sport.
0: You know, it's uh, really interesting and to build off of what Coach James was saying before, Matt, and what you just brought up. Um, the fact that, you know, when Coach James said, you know, we're training people backwards because we're getting, and you know, he said he takes the clock and throws out the clock. We get so caught on metrics. We're afraid to run tests like your circle test because it's not out there. It's not the 40, it's not. But when in actuality, that will tell us so much more about an athlete. The dodging drill, right? It's, it's hard to quantify what exactly are you doing with these drills. Well, the easiest way to quantify that is retroactively, let's go look at what how well the athlete plays in that year. And unfortunately that's how far they're gonna have to wait, but watch how well they're doing it. The injury prevention, the uh, ability to get past and stay on a team. These things are, are invaluable when it comes to uh, an athlete's performance. And yet we don't have a defined metric that we can put to Oh, why were you better? So, for that reason, we get stuck in a programming scenario when you start thinking in general terms. Right. I think it's like,
4: I agree with that. Uh, go ahead, Coach.
2: Like, how many times you would be going one on one with one of them, and they got so good at you intentionally showing them, you know, showing them an opening, and they would just take it really quick. And then the coolest thing is like working with a lot of those athletes and just saying to them, yeah, all right, I get like what your 20 was. You you improved your 20, but I can't wait to see, I can't wait for you to feel what it's like to step on the field after this. That's the coolest part, which you can't really measure until they start scoring goals.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Hmm.
0: All right. So listen, any final points of wisdom that we want to give out or, you know, uh, also too, I know there's a bunch of attendees. I know there's some more on Facebook Live. Anybody that has any questions, feel free to shoot those in now. Um, we're happy to answer them. But, you know, uh, you know, Coach Jack, any final points of wisdom that you really want to give out?
2: Um, I guess for the coaches out there, that I, I'm not sure if any coaches are on this, but that are in our situation, um, where we might only see an athlete twice a week. Um, I guess it's really starting to select the drills that are going to give you the best bang for your buck with the athlete. Um, I know we didn't get into a ton of details based on like exercise prescription. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing with me. Um, cause at the end of the day, when the athlete leaves the building, the building, they have to feel like they got something out of it. And it wasn't necessarily just like exactly what I wanted to give them that day.
0: Great point. Very, very good point. Coach Steven, you have anything you want to uh, leave off with?
4: Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that's great for coaches, uh, trust your eyes. I know we brought up a lot of things that we normally wouldn't do in our gym, but a lot can be exposed just by watching an athlete move naturally. Like we talked about the circle drill that you're doing. Uh, Coach James brought up Uh, Spinal movement and how seeing like field athletes are able to manipulate their spines a little bit better having someone run a circle and watching their body uh, Their orientation as they run the circle you can check the foot the spine a lot of that From that particular drill and it's just your eyes being able to trust that. So I would just say trust your eyes
0: Absolutely great point. Coach Matt
4: I think I just had two things.
3: Um, my first one, just in terms of our whole conversation, is some people are are, are gifted to be very fast. Uh, some are not, but understand both both of them require a long term development. And whether you're a coach or you're an athlete, it's going to take you time to learn that. But speed, if you are, if you aren't already super fast, it's going to take a little bit. You don't just get faster in a couple months. So we we can use the word trust the process, trust the, or whatever you want to use, but it's a long-term development. Um, I'm 30 years old now. I feel like I'm just as fast as I was because I spend more time on my sprint work. Uh, in terms of just everybody, you know, talking to coaches and our athletes, use this time to educate yourself. And if you have the if you have the ability to educate others, because I feel like we've done such a great job in house on educating on everything, whether that's speed or, or anything, but don't be afraid to educate other people. Even if you're an athlete at Athletes Warehouse, educate those who don't know because you've learned so much and continue to, to, to learn because every single day, whether you're a coach or an athlete, it, it's amazing what you, you, you will learn on your own and your philosophies will start to kind of come together. So long-term development speed, keep educating
0: so uh, coach Matt I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump in here real quick because we had a question come through and they uh, the question was and sort of builds off of what you had just mentioned um, at what age is it most important to be really focusing on speed development you know we obviously have and I'm gonna elaborate then on the question right we obviously have you know, peak height velocity that we know is a very important transition in an athlete's life, um, you know, where speed development can occur. And then you just mentioned how you still feel like you're the fastest you've ever been at age 30. So at at what point in an athlete's life um, is speed development most crucial?
1: Anyone? Every part, every (laughs) every part of your life. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's not a matter of it is most crucial at 18 versus eight. It's, it's, it's a skill, man. It's a skill that you have to pre- protect and practice every day. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, more than 10 years ago, I think 15 years ago, I decided to be a speed coach. Um, because I saw that by 2020, which is currently 2020 right now, it was going to be the top product out there because when I dissected the the weightlifting world and I dissected the yoga world and I dissected everything. I was like, these are all add-ons for production of velocity. That's all it is. And if we understand it, um, it, it, it will give us a lot of good results. So I wouldn't normally start kids from eight years old and at eight years old, we're, we're playing my kids. We played. I have them play pack. They're chasing me. you understand? So Speed training is necessary and you have to start it at a very early age. But the number one thing if you're listening to me, don't stress it. Don't stress it. The best coaches that I've had, they use these words fettina lente, which simply means make pace slowly and ostinato rigore. Use constant rigor. If you're going if you're going to have fun, have rigorous fun. If you're going to chase anything, you take your time. You don't you don't rush it. When you think of a kid, eight to 18, that's 10 years. In order for me to make the Jamaica Olympic team, it literally took me 14 years because I wanted to be on that team when I was 10 years old. I couldn't even get on my my high school, my, not my my elementary school team, my middle school team. I could get on that team. I had to train hard. I started training at about 12 years old. And my first national competition was when I was 16 years old. So that's a four year process from 16 years old to 20. That's when I got super close to that Sydney Olympics. And then from 2000, 2004, another four years. So if people are really serious about helping their kids to get better, so that at 30, they feel as good as they felt when they were 15. Has to be a long-term athletic development. It can't be a quick fix. And one of the main reasons I stayed out of this business for so long is because there are too many people out here their primary objective is to make a million dollars, not to make a million champions. And where we are, the only thing we're trying to do is to help these kids reach their top potential that make sense Mm
0: -hmm. perfect and uh, a great way to segue to the end of this Um, so listen we are uh, the. I I don't think the Facebook live um, uh, link worked but we were live on this webinar for this time we had a bunch of uh, attendees we obviously be posting this Uh, just as we close off this in case you have further questions want to reach out to Some of the coaches, I'm gonna have each coach go around and just give out their uh, social media handle. Uh, If you don't get it from this, you can obviously get it on our social media where it's already posted. Um, But just so that you can get in touch with them, ask any questions you would want. Coach Jack, go ahead.
2: Uh, Just on Instagram, uh, at jack.gladstone.
4: Coach Steven. On Instagram, S underscore T. that's P-O-R-T-E-E.
0: Coach Matt.
3: On Instagram, Coach June
1: four. Very cool, Coach James. Coach James is Richard James. If you don't find me on um, Instagram, it's JangaFit at JangaFit. It's at J-A-N-G-A-F-I-T.
0: Excellent, and I am at Coach Cereal. Um, Guys, this was an awesome time. I had an absolute blast with this. I learned a ton. I hope any viewers learned a ton and those who watch after this. um, I look forward to watching the progress of all of our athletes in terms of certainly speed development. I'll leave you with this. I uh, read a couple studies leading up to this just because I wanted to really uh, freshen up or I guess try and sound smart at all. But uh, the... um, speed and terms of correlation and what they're finding to other movement patterns, uh, which is like incredibly mind blowing. Uh, they have literally defined that any jumping movement pattern can basically be defined within 100% of accuracy based on your 10 and 20 yard dash. Yeah. Um, your five ten five 5 can essentially account for almost every other performance metric you'd be interested in wondering. Uh, and this was, again, it's only 10 women, but it's a uh, female soccer study. And just like literally mind blowing to think about the fact that three tests can let you know everything within close to 100% of uh, anything. I'll gladly put that in. But um, awesome time. I really appreciate uh, everybody's time here. I hope those who paid attention uh, learned as much as I did during this. And I look forward to
1: talking again, guys. All right, thanks a lot, thanks for having me. Thanks, Thank guys. You guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah.